God. <laughs> this word terrifies a lot of people in the West. It's certainly a loaded word in Ireland. This word or concept angers, frustrates, and often generates a response of eye-rolling when it's mentioned. And with good reason, the monotheistic idea of God that is also common around these parts has not stopped wars, famine, corruption, or atrocious immoral acts by those who are apparently closest to or working in the name of this God. Professor of Religion, Science and Society, Feminist and Gender and Sexuality Studies at Wesleyan University, Mary Jane Rubenstein is keenly aware of this. Her work encourages us to contemplate redefining what God could be and what that could mean for society and how we interact with the world. What if we saw God disentangled from religious dogma and corruption? There's so much in this hour, and I'm guessing if you click play, you're open to hearing a discussion about God that you might not have heard before. So please enjoy and let us know what you think. Mary Jane was sincerely one of my favorite guests, and I've linked more information about her work in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Professor Mary Jane Rubenstein, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. What's the crack? Well, thank you for asking. Um, I don't know, Jim, it's been a hard year. It's been a strange, strange, difficult year, I think, for everybody. Um, I wouldn't say the crack is 90, but like, <laughs> it's like it's like a solid 85. <laughs> Things are getting a little better here. Stuff is starting to open back up a little bit. Um, I was able to to take my, my little kids out to lunch outside the other day. You know, things are, things are coming back a little bit. So it's, it's on the ups. Thanks. Lovely. You know, I've never heard someone use a, a numeric system for crack other than 90. <laughs> so <laughs> I might have to spread that. might have exactly. to. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, you can you go, go up and down from there. Beautiful. Um, so we usually ask our guests to give, us, uh, give the, the listeners a, a bit about themselves if they're not familiar with your work. So we, yeah. We, yeah, we know it's usually the most difficult question, but could you give it a go? Yes, of course, of course. So I, uh, I study and teach and write about religion, um, and particularly the way that religion tends to show up in places that we don't expect it. Um, so recently, in the last five, 10 years, I've been writing about the way that religion shows up in science, um, especially when science isn't looking for religion, and in fact, thinks it's totally done with religion and wants to have nothing to do with religion. Um, and when I say science, I mean mainly um, the big sciences that tell us things like where we came from and where we're going. So uh, astronomy, cosmology, biology, uh, those kinds of sciences. Lovely. I, can I ask, how did you fall into this area per se you know what <laughs> yeah I wish it were a more interesting story but um I was I was just in a college class you know class at university and uh we read a book by this really cranky Danish author uh Soren Kierkegaard yes. uh, it's a book called Fear and Trembling that a lot some people have heard about uh it's about Abraham and Isaac that like absolutely terrifying story in the bible where uh God tells Abraham uh, to to kill his son, um, and Abraham's like, okay, and goes up to kill his son. Then God's like, wait, no, don't do it. And Abraham's like, okay, and then doesn't do it. And comes <laughs> back, right? And this cranky nineteenth century uh, uh, writer, Kierkegaard, is like, why don't we take this story more seriously? Like, this is terrifying. This is totally terrifying. Why do we teach this to our kids? You know, we teach we teach it to our kids in these terrible ways where we say things like, Abraham loved God so much that he was willing to give up. So, right. Um, 
And Kira was like, this is terrible. This is a terrible way to think about this horrifying story. We have to find a way to be horrified um, by what our religious traditions are telling us. Otherwise, we don't get religion well enough. And that seemed to me so honest and so interesting that all of a sudden I, it, it threw me into this place where I couldn't stop studying religion, really. That's fascinating. Because I guess a lot of people, when they hear that you're, uh, where, where someone is very interested in religion, Maybe the assumption is that they are uh, a strong member of a certain religion or they grew up believing a certain faith and they wanted Mm -hmm. to kind of double down per se or really like get into it. But but what what I like from the content from what I've seen from you is that you you are looking at it from such a a widened point of view. You really are. You're not trying to say, um, oh, there definitely is a God. There definitely isn't a God. Right. But how about we we reflect on what our interpretation of god means mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how did how, how did how did it go how did there come about yeah, yeah yeah well so i had this um so i grew up a whole bunch of different things i i i grew up um i was i was baptized catholic but i was i also grew up jewish um my mom became protestant after she had a few too many divorces so like we grew up a lot and then i and then i my stepfather was a yoga teacher so we did a lot of yoga practice so like i i had i grew up with a whole bunch of stuff right um and uh so it the, the idea that one of these paths would be right and the others would be wrong just never made any sense to me because it meant you know demonizing or sending to hell vast proportions of my family and it just didn't it it just didn't make any sense at all um and i remember at once asking my dad i was very little like you know who's right you know are, are you right is mom right is my yoga teacher stepfather right and he was like well we could all be right and I found that really, and that really stuck with me. And it's kind of the way that I, I've um, tried to go forward is that, as you were saying, right, the question about does God exist, does not God, did God not exist? People have asked this question for a very long time. I mean, very smart people, people much smarter than I am, have asked this question for a very long time and have tried to prove it mathematically, have tried to prove it logically, have tried to prove it rhetorically, experientially. Right? Um, I had this sense that if it were possible to answer that question, does God exist? Does not like somebody would have done it by now, right? Like this would have been. So it's not a worthwhile question. So then the question for me becomes, you know, who cares one way or the other, right? If God does exist, if we imagine that God does exist, what does this open up? If we imagine God doesn't exist, what does this open up? Um, like, what do we want to accomplish out in the world? What kind of communities do we want to create? Um, and given that. Uh, what kinds of stories can we tell ourselves that are going to help us build the kind of world we want to live? Hmm. I I really appreciate what uh, you said in a previous interview as well about how if we don't take up this task, right? If we mm-hmm. if we don't say don't say, hey guys, what does this mean? What does this following this God mean? Or what does it? What are the values that are they, are they showing? Uh, and then we go down the route of going, well, there's just no God. Mm-hmm. Then we are kind of leaving the lane open for mm-hmm. whoever has defined God to, for that to maintain and for those values to persevere. Right. And I thought that was interesting because, I, you, you know, obviously I'm sure you've come across a lot of like stern, angry a- atheists or maybe not angry, just, you know, stern. And they'll say, yeah, there's just no God because I saw this God and it was nonsense. So I don't want to take right. part. Right. Yeah, but, this is so... I mean, if you, yeah, I'm happy to talk a little bit about this. So the, you know, the traditional monotheistic concept of God 
um, includes a whole bunch of uh, baggage. <laughs> that, yeah. um, so the traditional concept of God, the traditional monotheistic concept of God, um, is of a single, all-powerful, all-knowing, um, sometimes benevolent, sometimes not, depending on whom you ask, uh, creator, sustainer, um, life giver, uh, that is totally disembodied, um, completely inaccessible, completely beyond our experience, um, and yet somehow still humanoid and somehow kind of male, right? Like mm. even though God's supposed to transcend everything, we're like it's still like you know when we when we you wake somebody up in the middle of the night and you're like, what does God look like? It's like ah, oh, an old dude, an old white dude with a beard, right? It's like yeah, yeah. this is this yeah. is the idea that we have, but except he's really powerful, and except he is all knowing, and except he, so so all of that is kind of bundled into the um, traditional uh, theistic concept of God. Um, so no matter who you are, it is absolutely understandable to say, I want to have nothing to do with that God. If you are a feminist, it's totally understandable to say, I want to have nothing to do with that God. If you're black or brown, it's totally understandable to say, I have want nothing to do with that. If you're a pacifist, if you're, a, right, there are all kinds of reasons not to want to believe in this God. If you're anti-imperialist, if you're, right, given the kinds of things that this God has been bound up with. Um, the thing that I worry about is that if we get into the situation where the the you know the theists are saying our all powerful God does exist, and the atheists are saying your all powerful God does not exist, <laughs> then as you're saying, we are abandoning the category of God to the definition of those right wing folks who want to call God all power. Right? Even if you're an atheist and you're saying that all powerful God doesn't exist you're still admitting that if God were to exist, what God would be, would be a disembodied, very powerful male humanoid thing. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So um, because that feels like a kind of dead end battle, um, what I've tried to start asking instead is like, are there other ways to think about God or divinity or gods, uh, right? Or like, or the sacred, are there other ways? And of course there are other ways. There are tons of other ways. There are other mm -hmm. ways beyond the monotheisms. There are even other ways within the monotheisms for with all sorts of thinkers and people who got like burned over this, over centuries for thinking in this way. Um, there are all other kinds of ways to list to, to think about divinity. And, and, um, I want to ask um, whether any of those would be more productive ways to talk about God. In terms of how it could benefit us collectively. In terms of how it could benefit us collectively, in right? Um, emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually, but also how it might benefit um, the earth, um, mm. the, the, you know, the, the earth that we're given. Um, there are plenty of communities um, contemporarily throughout history um, that have uh, found God, God's divinity um, in the rivers and the trees and the mountains. Um, and it seems to me that a whole different way of relating to the world that we're part of opens up if you start seeing God in those um, beings in those other kinds of beings than it does if you just say, you know what, there's no such thing because I'm so sick of this, of this. bullshit, right? Yeah. Acted in the name of this yeah, all powerful yeah, yeah. God. Yeah. Okay. I really want to go down what our alternative interpretations of God. But before we do that, can you tell me what other values? So you briefly mentioned like what the idea of the standard monotheistic God we have in the West here. Can you, can you kind of explain to listeners why you believe that this has contributed towards 
um, a kind of regional hierarchy in terms of yeah. Europe and uh, North America oh. being. And yeah, sure, sure. Also, the idea that like males are superior. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's okay. So um, if you study uh lots of religions, if you study lots of different religions, um, what you realize really quickly is that um, because we've never really seen gods, right? Like, let's just like get this on the table. We don't. We haven't seen them. We haven't experienced them, right? Um, we have to come up with ideas of what they would be, of what our gods would look like. Um, and so communities make their gods look like them. Right. Mm. Um, if you're an agricultural community, your gods are going to be these like fertile agricultural deities. If you're a warlike community, your gods are going to be warriors. If you're a right, um, people make gods who look like them. Um, so the god, uh, this would not be a problem if it weren't for the fact that uh, European cultures uh, have had a long and lasting imperial past so that the god that they have made for themselves has been imposed upon all kinds of other people right mm -hmm. and the god that they've made for themselves through the long you know 2000 year history of um, the uh, adoption of Christianity by the Roman Empire, and then the spreading of empire through a good deal of the globe, um, that God has come to look like an emperor. That's what the, the Christian God looks like in, in its most orthodox form, right? Um, the God is a monarch, he's an emperor, he's male, again, he's single, he's powerful, he's right. Um, so what that God looks like is the people who are on uh, like in charge of defining things in European countries. So those tend to be, you know, powerful, wealthy, able-bodied, white um, guys, right? Um, so by imagining our God as a powerful, uh, effectively white, male, disembodied being, um, we are saying that in the world, in the created world, people who look the most like that God are the most important and people mm. who look the least like that God are the least important. So you start getting this whole hierarchy that, that this God holds in place, um, a hierarchy of men over women, a hierarchy of um, people who seem to have light skin over people who have dark skin, right? Because mm -hmm. this God is said to be a God of light. There's no, in him, there is no darkness at all, right? There's a light God. So light skin people, male people, um, you know, powerful people, people who, who are wealthy or who are like strong or who, right? Um, people, humans over say spiders. We don't have a spider God. We have a human God. We have like a, you know, a superhuman God, right? Um, that all of these hierarchies begin to open up and the whole created world falls into this sort of ladder of, uh, of being under the supremacy of this God. Um, so, right. So as you're saying, so, so we start getting this, um, this, uh, racial hierarchy that really starts intensifying in the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries of uh, light-skinned people over dark-skinned people, um, and of the people who are affiliated with this god, which is to say Europe, um, Europeans, uh, over the people of all of the other uh, apparently heathen nations, dark nations. Um, what anthropology starts to do in the 18th and 19th century is to organize all human beings, right? Because they've got they've got all these kinds of people, like in all these sorts of places, and they're like, wow, how are we all related to each other? How do we all? Um, and what they do is that they they organize all of the people of the world uh, in a hierarchy based on what it is they worship. So they'll say, well, you know, the most primitive people 
are people who worship, this is their, this is their language, um, are people who worship things like rocks and stones. And uh-huh. then the slightly more advanced people worship like vegetables and animals. And then uh-huh. if you're slight, and if you're more advanced than that, you have many gods. And then if you're really, more, then you have one God, right? So the whole, all of humanity gets organized based on what it worships from the so-called like pagans and heathens and animists um, through the polytheists, through the monotheists. And then suddenly uh, the entire world is, is, is kind of gathered in a hierarchy under Europe. Does that answer the question that you were asking? It does. I guess I have a follow-up question in terms yeah. of what values you think this uh, monotheistic God, uh, like you mentioned, the kind of like a discrimination, a kind of illusion of hierarchy, etc. I'm also like what comes to mind is that Charles Eisenstein speaks about like the myth of separation mm-hmm. and that perhaps this monotheistic God is maybe getting, is creating a barrier for us you know, com- to our relationship with trees or the ocean mm-hmm. or rivers. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, yeah. If, yeah. Yeah, the big, um, the big attribute that, uh, the sort of divine attribute that doesn't get talked about a lot is the attribute of disembodiment. The monotheistic God doesn't have a body. The monotheistic God is not in the world. Therefore, the West comes to prioritize ideas um, dis- like disembodied things, ideas, um, men, because they're said to be more rational than women, right? Um, over anything that has a body, right? And so all of the denigrated peoples of the world, you can think of the way that um, that Black descended people in particular tend to be like hypersexualized, the way that women are always sort of tied to their bodies, Um any and and then the whole material world itself, the rocks and the rivers, right? All of this stuff is like not quite true, not quite real, not quite good enough, right? Not quite aligned with divinity, right? Divinity because again, divinity is so it's that that move of disembodying God um, denigrates anything that like, can't get away from its body, that can't get away from its embodiment. Mm, that's. Yeah, it's 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 difficult to why why I think this is so important and why I really wanted you on podcasting for listeners to hear this is because I don't think we have to this extent really considered the implications of what this in this God could the implications of what this God could mean for how we interact with the world mm-hmm. and that it could literally change how we you know, go to a forest or for instance, if we might litter or any sort of pollution in rivers or oceans. And yeah, like, I'll just speak from personal experience growing up in Ireland. It, I, w- I was kind of afraid of the word God and would never use the word God sincerely mm-hmm. up until very recently when I kind of saw other people using it in a way that to me improved themselves their community mm. their relationship mm. with the environment yeah and um yeah, yeah. i i guess it, it's just really nice to hear you talk about this because I, the, the knee-jerk reaction to the average catholic person in in ireland or the average person growing up in such a catholic dominated society is like oh god that's nonsense yeah. uh, i don't want to yeah i'm a good person and uh, i'll treat people well but yeah. maybe they haven't understood that this knockoff effect of understanding God as this 
like as you said, disembodied thing that is up there and we can't see it. And rather than imagine if we thought it, God was the tree or God was the river. Right. Um, right. Sorry. And just before we expand on this, yeah. uh, my good friend Seb unfortunately can't be here. Uh, and, and Seb would, would probably consider himself more rational than me. Yeah. And the one question that he really wanted to ask here was, why are people so attracted to God, to your opinion, mm-hmm. to just the idea of a God, just that word, that word? Right. Why, why do you think so? So um, I'm going to be that annoying professor and say that it depends on what you mean by God. But yeah. um, <laughs> if, if what Seb means by why are people so attracted to God is why are people so attracted to, why are, like, so many Americans, for example, um, so attracted to like the good old God of power and might. Um, why? Um, why? Because um, life is hard. Like life is really super, super difficult. And it often looks completely meaningless. Like it's just one thing after another hitting you, mm. right? That like, and you, just, you wake up in the morning and think like, oh, God, what the hell is today going to bring? And you have no idea. It is very comforting to a lot of people to hold on to the possibility or even the knowledge that uh, there is not just something, but someone who is in charge. Um, so that whatever damn thing happens to you, it's for a reason, right? It's, and, that, and just having meaning uh, in your life can be very anchoring and very helpful. Um, and c- it can be protective. It can be psychologically protective to, to just to believe that whatever the heck it is, somebody is in charge and, you know, and somebody who sees farther than we do uh, is, um, it, it's, it's, like, um, it's like a longing for a really good parent, the kind of parent that mm. most people almost everybody doesn't have Mm. um longing for somebody who's going to pick you up when you fall somebody who's going to kiss the tears away and somebody who's going to say i know this hurts a lot right now but i swear to you it's good for you the way i you know i did yesterday i took my um 16 month old to uh to get his um his, his checkup and he had two vaccinations that he had to get and um it was heartbreaking to me that i couldn't get through to him that what was about to happened was going to hurt him and I you know I was saying to him like this is you know I said little guy this is going to hurt and and he's just like giggling at me and laughing and I was like damn it damn it oh the poor little guy this is going to really hurt I was like it's going to hurt but I promise you that this is good for you I promise you this is going to keep your body healthy and this is and I was trying to explain but he went and then the nurse gets him in the thigh and he's like oh my god and he was like how could you how could you do this to me and then I was able to pick him up and assure him that I was in charge that his body was okay and that this horrible thing that was happening to him was happening to, for a reason think of this in like a really big, 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 you know, like ratcheted out to the level of the universe, ratcheted out to the level of like wars and disease and famine, right? It is super attractive to a lot of people to be able to believe in a big dad, right? Who um, can assure you that that's all, that's all happening for a reason. So that's, that's, I think the attraction to that, um, that particular kind of God, that's where this comes from. That's where that God comes from. Um, so Again, there are a lot of reasons to um, want to have nothing to do with that particular God, um, not least of which because that, that God doesn't really show up that way, right? That, that God didn't rescue the Jews from Auschwitz, that God doesn't rescue you know, black folks from being shot down by the police in the U.S., that God isn't rescuing Palestinians, that God isn't, right? So um, 
So it's just, it's hard for a lot of people to believe in that kind of God. And again, I think it's very compelling to want to just abandon God talk entirely. Um, but here's the thing, at the, just the level of language, language is super powerful. It's not necessarily, like it doesn't reflect anything in particular about, you know, that's necessary about the world, but it's very powerful. It, it language speaks to us at levels that, um, sort of short circuit a lot of our even our, our understanding and the word god is super powerful what the word god means is what it is is like our biggest concept it's our it god means like all of the things that we value and all of the things that we hope for and all of the things that we are like loaded into that word god um and so to abandon it to um, folks who want to define it in narrow and violent ways um, just seems like a kind of lost opportunity to me. Mm. You, you know, I never heard it like that. I, I, I love it. Like I, the idea that it is the parent that we never had, the kind of being, if you will, that can, that can give us almost what we need on, mm-hmm. in every level. But as you say, on the flip side, and what Seb has said to me several times is like, Seb, I, or Jim, I can't believe in a God if, if he controls everything, if he or she controls anything. And I see what's happened to, you know, name yeah. any travel. Right. Yeah. 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 But on the flip side, I wonder, because this podcast is dedicated to the idea of well-being. Mm-hmm. And more and more, I come around to the idea that I actually think we need that. Like, mm-hmm. as, as. And this is why I am not afraid of using the word God, but definitely not the monotheistic God, is that I think we need to believe in like the divine existence or, because, like you said, how hard it is to believe in God when there's famines and wars and stuff. But a part of me thinks, Jesus, is it not equally, if not harder, to not believe in something mm-hmm. divine or something like ineffable Mm-hmm. about you just being in the in this world about right. how, how it's all come to be how after 8.4 billion years you're just here and we're sharing this conversation on this laptop and i'm in this nice room and it wouldn't yeah. have been like this 500 years ago and we're we're just perfectly located between a, a sun uh, not too close not too far all these things yeah, yeah. to me I can't help but think it's a need for us to kind of have, like you said, a kind of, ah, yeah, this, you know, quote in whatever word you want to use, this parent yeah, has, has got me per se. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I go in two different directions with this. I, um, as you probably know, um, if you embark on, uh, uh, like an Alcoholics Anonymous program or a Narcotics Anonymous program or some kind of, you know, uh, mental behavioral health program, um, they will almost always tell you, you have to find a higher power. And this is mm-hmm. often really hard for people. They're like, how, where, <laughs> where am I gonna? Mm-hmm. especially, you know, especially for people who've been, um, treated terribly by clergy or who've been treated terribly by the church or by, you know, their parents in relation to the church or something like that. Um, like, how am I going to find this higher power? Um, but as you're saying, um, these recovery programs, are really firm on this. They're like, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it is, you know, the arms of the galaxy that is your higher power. Like I don't, it, it, if it's, if it's the force of natural selection, something that you can hold on to that you can, that can like anchor you, as you're saying, in this kind of cosmic story of which you're a part. Mm. It doesn't have to be personal. It doesn't have to be, it could, but it can be something. So there's, there's that on that like big cosmic scale. Um, on the, um, 
on a, on a more microscopic scale, um, you know, philosophers, theologians have known for a really long time that um, it's really hard to make yourself believe in anything. It's super mm. hard. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really, like, mm-hmm. how do you... lift yourself up by your heartstrings or something like it's really difficult to make yourself believe in something um so the 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 way that i tend to think about it um is uh to i i like to kind of sidestep the question of belief a little bit and talk instead about practice and relationship um and so i don't know that I can talk about any kind of divinity that I believe in. Um, But I can definitely talk about what it feels like to walk through a forest or just walk to work or walk through a city or and try to relate to the beings in front of me as though they are in some sense divine. Like, Mm -hmm. right. And you can, you just relate to them, relate to that tree outside the window as though that's divine. Um, You can Mm -hmm. talk to it there's nothing wrong with talking to trees, right? Nothing wrong with talking to plants. People who raise plants know this all the time. It's actually very good for them. It's good for you. It calms you down, right? It makes people think you're an absolute lunatic. You can talk to the tree. You can hug the tree. You can write, mm-hmm. um, you can speak to the tree. So there's like a practice of um, treating as many beings as possible as though they were sacred um, that gradually allows you to see like sacredness in more places in the world. And I think that that's a really good practice. I think it's not Mm. only good for our own mental health. I think it's good for our communal health. I think it's, um, as you're suggesting, good for ecological health to try Mm -hmm. to like expand the boundaries of where you can see something. Now, if the concept of God or, or the sacred or the divine has done so much damage to you that you just can't, then like, let it go. I think like, let it go, be an atheist, have a great time. Um, it's just that, you know, we, there may be some of us who are letting that kind of language and that kind of feeling go unnecessarily. Mm. Um, And it may, it may do a lot of really helpful work for, for some of us. Absolutely. I know I've I've tried that practice a little bit that you're talking about when mm-hmm. I'm having a difficult conversation with someone or I'm in a conversation that I'm not particularly enjoying and they're talking about this thing and I kind of want to get out of it. And if I can ever remind myself, like, this person could be a manifestation of something divine. That's right. And then all of a sudden, it's it's almost like there's a different lens. Yeah. I'm di- all of a sudden, this person's like uh, faults to me right. are not so much faults anymore. I'm just going... I have faults as well. Yeah. This, is just, <laughs> this, this is just a person out here trying to trying to do it, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That, and that usually also, you know, when you come at so so, you know, I've been talking about the example of relating to you know trees and rivers and things, but when you're when you're when you're talking about relating to other people and like trying to find what it is that is lovable about that person and trying mm-hmm. to find right. Um, when when that changes in you, usually the other person feels that, and so yeah. it's like, oh, okay, this person is coming at me with love, and then yeah. usually the, the the situation, you know, deescalates a little bit, which is helpful. Which is helpful. Yeah, big time, big time. I mean, but it's it's a very very hard practice. <laughs> very yeah. hard practice. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to bring up the idea. Uh, you know, Nietzsche Nietzsche famously said that God is dead. Yes. Um, however, there are many people who would argue that consumerism, competition, and even science have replaced God in certain respects. Mm-hmm. For you, what what is, I mean, obviously, there's different categories. It depends on the region and stuff. But 
an overarching say for you, say in the States, what do you think is the, the closest thing to a God? As in, what are people following? Like, what are people really following religiously, but, but doesn't have the connotations of a certain yeah. religion? Um, yeah, let me let me start with the 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 straightforward answer to that question, and I'll go back to Nietzsche. Um, okay. Straightforward answer to that question is I think I think it's money. I think it's money. I th- that's okay. um, I don't usually give answers that are that straightforward, but I think for the most part, yeah. um, our uh, globalized Euro American um, culture um, prioritizes profit above kind of everything else and material mm-hmm. well-being like you know financial well-being above mm-hmm. it now there are individual um exceptions to this you know there there are some scientists who i would say think about um sort of have knowledge in that that god position right they, mm-hmm. they just really want knowledge above all um uh I, you know, there, there, there are other individuals, right? Who and even even some communities who have other um, other uh, things in this. I think some environmentalists actually put, you know, the Earth in that in that God position. I, I would say Extinction Rebellion does, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but in terms of, you know, if we're if we're talking about a big big broad stroke about the the the, the system that we all have to participate in, it's it's money. It's absolutely money. But what got um, what so when Nietzsche said God is dead, um, what he said when he translated it for the rest of us, he said, what I mean is the highest values are devaluing themselves. The things that we used to value most, we do not value anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So he said, we're going to have to come up with other values instead. Um, and what I think really filled that God vacuum very quickly um, was a kind of imperialism um, that gave way to capitalism. That, right yeah. that, to capitalism kind of rode the, the the heels of of imperialism and now it's and now it's profit um but yeah i mean in that in that god is dead business with nietzsche um his he thought it was a, a profoundly liberating realization um to see that you know the old god and he's talking the same old god he's talking about the same god we're talking about right that that yeah. god is becoming harder and harder to believe in mm-hmm. um it, it's scary. It's terrifying. It's a kind of um, difficult freedom. Uh, but he said, therefore, like, let's make our own gods. Let's figure out what we yeah. value and value it and see how that goes. And the thing that was, you know, the, the, the spirit, there's a spirit of experimentation in Nietzsche um, where, you know, you can, you can, you can live in particular ways. You can live in devotion to particular things and like, see how that goes for you. And if it doesn't work. Mm-hmm ditch it do something else because what we don't have to believe in anymore now that this god is dead is the idea of a single truth that is out there somewhere that we have to find there are all sorts of truths right and um so the measure of truth isn't whether it is um true <laughs> whether it is the only true the measure of truth is whether it works well for the purposes that you need it right um mm-hmm. does does it work well for these particular scientific purposes for these technological purposes, for these ethical purposes like those are the those are the measures of truth for a for a nietzschean kind of thinker what you you mentioned about um uh, so like money capitalism neoliberalism almost mm-hmm. taking over as the god reminds me of a I mentioned this guy very often on the podcast, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate. I don't know if you're familiar. No. Oh, okay. I love this guy. But anyway, he was he was interviewed and he was asked by the interviewer about um, like kind of 
like a, an emotional plea like why is this happening with um this neoliberal agenda like why are we marginalizing these people why are we making it so hard for minorities and, and poor people and then he just replied he goes well you wouldn't treat these people like you're treating them if you believed that they had a soul oh wow yeah and i remember i thought wow and I, 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 now that we're speaking about this, I can almost pinpoint that time to me thinking, wow, if I just considered that everyone had a soul, like there was just mm-hmm. some sacredness in everyone, mm-hmm. what, would that, what would that mean? Mm-hmm. You know? And then inevitably you're, you're treating these people so much differently because mm-hmm. you're thinking, Jesus, this is, this is something more precious than just a body. You know, it's not just a, you know, there's something there. And I'm totally with you. I, I, I never want to come across as someone who says, oh, yeah, no, this is the way. Hey, guys, this is the way. I'm just saying for me personally, being able to treat people as if that, well, I mean, I, I forget it sometimes for sure, but being able to, to think that or to think that the, the tree and the river is somewhat sacred, all of a sudden you, you're, sh- you're shifting your approach to it. You're shifting your approach to yourself as well. That's right. Um, That's right. And I, th- I do think it, it could it could heal a lot of the issues that we have slightly, even with like self-love and communal aspects of being able to relate to people, you know, mm-hmm. just like regardless of this person's like ethnicity or race or what football team they like, if they have a soul, <laughs> you know, if they have a soul, I, I think I have a soul, you know, what, what are we, what are we really arguing over, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, thank you for bringing that. Like, you know, really true conversations. It kind of just pops yep. up in my head. But now this this makes a lot, a lot more sense for me. Um, yeah, and you find these things coming together for yourself. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. this. <laughs> um, Anytime. You mentioned before how divinity does not have to mean omnipotence, like an unlimited, perfect power. Right. And you, I remember you said in an interview, like just how, just look how nature functions. What do you think we could learn from the more from the older, more nature-driven or natural world-driven understanding of a God? Yeah, um, I think what we can learn from a lot of um, communities that um, anthropologists call animist. um, And uh, the idea of animism is that um, the uh, stuff that the West thinks is inanimate uh, is not. (laughs) And in fact, is uh, is um, not just animate, not just does stuff, um, but is a is a person. Um, again, I, I think that we can um, we can learn uh, how to. I love you, you were talking about um, as if we can t- learn how to relate to the more than human world as if um, everything around us were were persons, were people. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean we have to believe that they are. We mm-hmm. can just learn to relate as if, as if they mm-hmm. were people and then see what kinds of decisions we would make. Um, and now this doesn't, um, so I, one example I think about a lot is that um, I had this tree that was next to my house and it was, um, it was in a, a, a piece of, of land that was like right next to my driveway. And it was just way too small to house this kind of tree. Right? So uh-huh. the tree was like, you know, breaking through the, the land that it had. I felt terrible. I don't even know how that tree got there. It was there before I, I, I moved there. And the tree was leaning over my neighbor's house and it was healthy, but it was leaning over my neighbor's house. And if we had a bad storm and if uh, you know, any, any kind of big snowfall or um, lightning or whatever was going to knock the street down, 
onto my neighbor's house. And I was worried, not because of a lawsuit. I was worried because I didn't want to knock my neighbor's house down. Like this just about, (laughs) so so I had to get the, take this, this perfectly healthy tree. I mean, perfectly healthy tree that that didn't ask for Like didn't ask for this. I had to get it removed. And I knew that it was upsetting to me, but I, I, I didn't quite realize how upsetting it would be until I got home after the guys had been there and had taken the tree down. And I looked up at the sky and I realized I could still see the imprint on the sky of where the tree had been. Like I had become so used to, so accustomed to seeing that tree that I could like still see where it wasn't. And I just felt this overwhelming grief, like just terrible, terrible grief. Like what on earth have I done? This is terrible. This is awful. Um, and so I, uh, I called up a friend of mine who's a Native American theologian, and I was like, okay, I know this is going to sound like a crazy white lady thing to say, but I knocked down this tree, and I feel really bad, and I don't know what to do about it. Um, and she was like, have you tried talking to the tree? And I was like, no, why would I talk to the tree? And she was like, stop it. Go to the stump. Go to the tree stump. Tell the tree what happened. Say, like, I'm really sorry. This, we, you were in a piece of land that was too right? – and thank it for its wood because even if that tree is just going to get wood chipped and go into somebody's compost like it is it is useful so thank it for its wood and also everybody likes tobacco so rub a little tobacco into the stump and i was like okay ran out right <laughs> bought the tobacco like rubbing it talked to it and you know and in talking to this tree i um well first of all i felt better which is which is helpful um second of all it was a thing to do um and but then third of all i didn't have to like wallow forever in white lady guilt about having taken this tree down like i could move on with my life because yeah. to, to to you know appreciate the beauty and the the sanctity of all life doesn't mean that you know you can't move around in the world and you can't eat anything because you know yeast screams when you add water to it right it just yeah, means yeah, yeah. That you can live a little more lightly right um yeah. by developing relationships with things around you um so there are all kinds of things like that that we can learn that's a fascinating story i really enjoy that because you can you can very easily find yourself down a wormhole of i don't want to eat animals because i think animals are you know sacred and they deserve it um, but also i do think that maybe some vegetables are conscious mm-hmm. as well and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. what can you eat and then and then you can't eat anything yeah right then you're right. disintegrating your own body Right. And then you, and right. And, and again, yeast does scream when you put water in it, like a little water and sugar and it goes like, ah! like it clearly doesn't like it. So like now can you not eat bread? So the, um, but, but then we get into this like false, um, uh, sort of either or wherein some folks think like, well, all right, well, if yeast screams, then I may as well eat all the industrial cattle that I can. It's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. You can, <laughs> there, yeah. you can eat, but you can choose there. There are less harmful ways to eat. Yeah. And there are more harmful ways to eat, even mm-hmm. though it is absolutely true that you can never do no harm in eating. That I'm sure carrots don't want to be pulled out of the ground. I'm sure of it. I'm sure potatoes want to, don't <laughs> want to be pulled out of the ground, right? Um, but they are doing less systemic damage mm-hmm. um, than industrial farming is. So, mm-hmm. right? So there are other, mm-hmm. there, there, if we think systemically, um, then we can actually uh, make ethical decisions here and there. I like that. You mentioned a few minutes before about how hard it is for us to come to, I guess, to confirm that we believe something, right? Like Mm -hmm. how hard it is for us to decide that, yes, I believe this. And I was wondering, a question I wanted to ask was, what do you think needs to happen in your, in your view to shift the perspective of the, of our existence and thus our interpretation of any sort of, thing that could be titled mm-hmm. under god 
So Blaise Pascal, um, 17th century French philosopher, um, was was dealing with this problem of like, how do you make yourself believe something? And he was like, ah, you know what? It's not that hard. You just start doing the thing. He's like, if you want to believe in the Christian God, just start going to church, cross yourself, holy water, like just practice, 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 do the thing. And then like in a few months or a few years, you'll wake up and be like, huh, I do believe this. Interesting. Right. <laughs> like there, like bodily practices actually have um major effects on um on cognitive processes you can't like cognition yourself into cognitive processes but you can absolutely train the body to right um you know if you are if you want to um if you want to if if you for one reason or another want to be vegan um it's very hard to just like make yourself believe that eating meat is bad just stop eating it for a while and after a while you'll be like oh that's disgusting and then you'll think it's bad right so like the practice it actually informs the belief mm. um one um thing that i've found really helpful is to spend time with kids um i am finding like little 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 kids who need you to interpret the whole world for them um I am finding that by figuring out what I want to teach my kids, my kids' friends, my my friends' kids, right? Like what I want to teach them, um, I am teaching myself about the way that I want to live in the world, right? So I'm I'm walking my my four year old to school the other day, um, and he picked up a stick. He loves sticks, even though right, no guns in the house, no whatever. But like he, God, this kid loves sticks, and he, oh, <laughs> this is my powerful sword. This is I shoot things at you, pew pew, right? So he's got this <laughs> stick, and so I was like, don't point it at your brother, don't point it at me either, don't point it at a person. Don't point it. And he's like, okay, fine. And he takes the stick and he beats a tree with it. And I was like, hey, inappropriate. And I didn't add. <laughs> I had no idea. If you had asked me before, like, what, how would you react if your kid hit a tree with a stick? I, I probably would have said, like, I, I don't know. Does, does it really matter? But all of a sudden, I realized that I did not want to raise a being and be in charge of the ethical, who beat the crap out of trees with sticks. It just it felt wrong. <laughs> right? um, it's like a totally new awakening for me. So it doesn't have to be, you know, one's own kids. It can be any kinds of kids. Um, it, it really, um, I think, like, it's like this um, narrowing in about the things that uh, are important to you um, and the and the values that you want to pass on to somebody else. And all of a sudden, um, you might be like, I find myself being a little stricter with myself about my own like ethical practices, because I'm like, well, what kind of, you know, way am I modeling for these, mm. these little beings to be in the world? So um, I find that very, very helpful, just spending time with people who um, uh, aren't me, <laughs> and yet are relying on me um, yeah. for some kind of ethical framework. It's, it's interesting you say that because what came to mind is growing up in Ireland, you very often hear from like an uncle or some football coach or something and he'll say, do as I say, not as I do. Uh-huh. And then yeah. you just have the difficulty going, well, you're not doing it, you're not doing but it. you're saying that I should do it. Right. It's hard for me to think about why I should do it. If you're not doing it, you're just saying I should do it. Yeah. And that's interesting <laughs> to hear that you go, oh, well, if I'm saying it, I kind of have to do it as well. I better do it. And yeah. 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 I better do it. Right. I better not litter. I better not. I better not yeah. throw this, whatever this thing is out my car window because. Because that, that person's that's watching you. He's what all the time. <laughs> all the time. Uh, and just an, another reflection was that. Uh, I think this fits in well where I, when I started to do yoga, I, I had no um, understanding of like Eastern philosophy. I wasn't interested. I purely went to yoga because I felt amazing after. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was gone for several months. 
And then there just came a point where I guess the yoga instructor would drop like certain bits, certain kind of like teachings maybe at the end of the class or use music or something and kind of shift your consciousness. And all of a sudden you're kind of, like you said, you're kind of going, well, I mean, uh, I'm experiencing these things. that like I'm doing this and, and it's making me feel this way. And all of a sudden having a soul isn't this far-fetched thing. I, I feel like it's, it's, I feel like it's here. You know, I feel like it's actually a thing. Yeah. And I, 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 sometimes my mind goes like, well, what could we collectively do to facilitate certain experiences? Because, you know, you don't want, like, again, this could never happen. But like a thought experiment of, well, what could we do to facilitate experiences for people to make them go like, wow, like, being alive is amazing. And like, this person is divine and, and these trees and this forest and this rivers. And, wow, we need really to shift things. And I guess the, there's a, a growing interest in psychedelics. And there's a growing interest in, in yoga and meditation and some Eastern practices. And the, the thing that comes next, I guess, was do you see these, um, these uh, psychedelics, the Eastern practices, uh, other practices that I'm, that I'm forgetting now, do you see these as a manifestation of the need for people to have to have to kind of touch that idea of the divine mm. you know like it's unconscious they just say hey i just want to experience something but is it like something ingrained in us do you think that oh, we need to feel like we need to have that experience um i don't know i don't know that i'm i'm willing to go quite that far and to say that but um i i i do think that the tendency to um be interested in um psychedelics particular meditation practices things like that um is absolutely reflective of a desire to like get out of the mess that we put ourselves in and that like and we have a really hard time um again like thinking ourselves out of the our, our own difficulties, right? The difficulties are like, it's very, very hard just like to solve a problem, solve a real problem just by like thinking your way out of it. Um, and what I think, um, what absolutely the yoga tradition knows um, is that you've got to calm the body down if you want to change the mind. Like that, so there, there are all these limbs of yoga, right? There are eight limbs of yoga. The first one is that whole series of, of postulates. Like that, that's all, just one. The one, like you get to the point where you can like levitate upside down and whatever, like you are still at stage one. <laughs> all of that is to discipline you to be able to breathe. That's another limb of yoga, pranayama, right? Um, to meditate, to right, And then you like gradually work your way up to the mental stuff. So you got to shut the body up. And the way that you shut the body up is by making it well. And that's what the physical yeah. limb of yoga is, right? So yoga knows this. Um, and I think that this is part of what's compelling about um about psychedelics. I cannot, I, I should be clear. I am not speaking from experience here. I am a terrible, uh, a, a terrible partaker in drug culture. I'm not good at it. I <laughs> just like a demonstrated failure at it, but, um, but it seems to me, but like what, what, um, except caffeine is a great, great drug. Um, what drugs do for us is that they, they like override our, um, like cognitive habits and they get to the somatic 
level. They, they get to the bodily level and they calm you the hell down or they rev you the hell up or they do whatever it is, right? Um, so they like get us out of ourselves. And certainly this is um, a very similar um, kind of uh, discipline to what a lot of people talk about when they talk about religious practice, right? A lot of people who uh, do go to traditional churches will say, like, I go there because I can get out of my head. Because, you know, in, mm. the, in the words of, like, even if there's particularly, like, high liturgical churches, in the words of this liturgy, which I have heard every day since I was three years old, I can, like, get out of myself. And there's, this, you know, beautiful music that's soaring to the rafters. Like, I can just... Um, so I, 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 I hesitate to say that all of this is, like, a subset of religion. But I think that religion and, uh, like, psychedelic practice and meditation, right? They're, they're, they're all aiming for very similar things, which is to say um, a bodily discipline that like short circuits and rewires some of the stuff that's going on with our minds and our emotions. Like fl flips our perspective. Yeah. yeah. Just like make it happen, you know, just like, it, it, you know, if you, you know, those mornings where you're like, I do not want to I, like, I don't have time for yoga or I don't have time to work. I don't have, and if you can just like make yourself get on the damn mat, the minute your body is in that space, it's like, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Right. It's, that's like the wisdom yeah. of the body, right. That's, that's like bringing the mind along with it. Big time, big time. And um, for listeners who maybe have never heard of pantheism, mm -hmm. I was wondering, could you give like maybe a quasi quick definition yeah. and give a super quick definition and whether or not you think it will uh, expand. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So pantheism uh, is a it's it's a word that means all God. Um, it's a uh, a position that um, uh, Western philosophy has been scared of for a really long time. Uh, the idea basically is that the the universe itself is God. That when we we say the word God, what we mean is the material and spiritual and mental universe around us. Um, that the universe is the place we all come from, that the universe is the thing that sustains us, that the universe is the place that we're going after we die. Like, that's the idea of pantheism. God and the world are the same thing. Um, it, uh, it's been a very heretical idea um, for a whole bunch of reasons that may or may not be interesting. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I wrote this book about pantheism and a lot of my colleagues were like, oh, God, you're going to write about pantheism. Er, gosh, <laughs> nobody wants to be a pantheist. Um, and, and when I give talks on it, when I've given, you know, when I've given book readings and things like that, usually the academics are all like, well, what do you do about the problem of evil? What do you do about this like technical thing? That's a, uh, grumble, 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 grumble. Um, and then when I give it to um, like folks who aren't academics, who do other things with their lives, um, you know, at book groups or at um, libraries or bookstores, um, or once at this amazing uh, festival in Wales, it's like a philosophy and uh, music festival in Wales. Okay. I, yeah, I, you know, I go on and on about the history of this idea. And, and afterwards, folks come up to me and they're like, you know, I think I'm a pantheist. I think that that's probably right. I think I, I like, I mean, it's just, I, I get no problem from folks who do things other than the academy for their lives. They're just like, <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. This just makes a ton of sense to me. I've never written on anything that has so much sort of broad, popular appeal before so it just it, it just doesn't seem to me like it's it's a really far reach for a lot of people but i mean that this may be wrong it's just maybe the people i've come into contact with but. it definitely resonates more with me but the question that i have to ask to follow up here is, is why do you think it resonates less with academics or with like intellectuals probably people who spend a lot of time thinking yeah um because academics um often mistake uh, theoretical problems for actual problems. 
um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and, and they get, they get, you know, wedded to, to particular ways about, of, 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 of thinking about things. Um, and I, I just, uh, there's, um, there's a way of, uh, I think that that's it. I think that academics make problems where there aren't problems. And sometimes that's very important. Sometimes okay. it's really important to say, hey, nobody's worried about this Abraham and Isaac story. And you really should be because it's really super messed up. Like academics are great for that, right? Uh-huh. Hey, nobody's worried about the language that we're using to refer to trans people. And we really yeah. should. Like, academics are great about that. Um, uh-huh. So, but if there's actually no problem and it would be a, better to live as though there's no problem, then you don't need academics telling you there's a problem where there isn't. So it's, 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 it's something <laughs> right. like they're like, yes, but you know, the coherence of this concept falls away. And it's like, who needs a coherent concept? You don't need a coherent concept to have a pantheist practice. You can have like a mm. more or less coherent concept. You can have mm. one that more or less works, um, mm. but it doesn't have to be absolutely flawless. It doesn't have to be um, absolutely perfect. Um, and in fact, none of the concepts of God that anybody has as flawless or perfect, no, or even, no way. even coherent, really, when you push on. Yeah. yeah. Even just for me, it, it makes more sense, or like I gravitate towards it because I like the idea of the universe or the God being like fallible, like it's making mistakes, mm-hmm. just right. like me. Right. Right. And you know, if you if you if you listen to um, the creation stories of uh, like the Cheyenne people of North America or um, uh, the Cherokee people of North America or um, the, the folks of the Northern territory of Australia. Um, and you, you like, you ask if they, if there are some stories that they won't, that they can't tell that they won't tell. Um, but stories that are available to, you know, non-indigenous people about how the world came into being involve all sorts of totally fallible actors. It's like, oh, well, you know, this turtle did what the turtle could and then needed some help from <laughs> the, the squirrel and needed some help from the disorder. Like, and, and that makes much more sense as a, as a, as an account of the way that the world went to be like, some things worked out okay. And some things didn't very yeah. much work out okay you know the rabbits bunny rabbits do you know that they die because they can't cough up hairballs i mean this is absurd <laughs> if there were an omnipotent god an omnipotent god would have created rabbits in such a way that rabbits could just get a hairball and not Sucks. die Sucks. from a hairball like a cat right but like that's just <laughs> clearly the forces of creation in the universe are not omnipotent like yeah. clearly they're not they do yeah. a lot of stuff really well and they do a lot of stuff in kind of flawed ways that could be better too so that seems a more compelling set of stories to me big time even like i'll admit that maybe four weeks ago i kind of went down a little rut and because i'm I'm working in a homeless hostel and Mm -hmm. i was kind of like really confronted with the 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 problem of homelessness in dublin and and how it's not looking like it's going to get any better and actually based on the attitudes and what's being said, it's probably going to get worse. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just thinking, well, what about this disconnection between the population that think they have the problem, but really people who are actually really homeless? And, and then my mind's gone spiral, spiral, spiral. And then I kind of came back, all the way back. And I had to go, like what gave me a bit of peace was, listen, even a few billion years ago, there's always been like comets knocking about, you know, hitting other stars, hitting other planets. Like It's not like there was a time where it was all rosy. <laughs> right. And I think that that I have to remind myself that consistently because, you know, we look at the news and we see flaws, we see conflicts, we see wars, we see corruption, we see it all. And of course it is terrible and we need to work on these things. But it's also nice to remember, right, there never was a time. Like when you hear anyone saying, oh yeah, do you remember when it was better back then? Well, 
was it you yeah. know right right and right yeah well i mean it's it's very easy for me to say like was it i wouldn't have been able to have this job i wouldn't have been yeah. able, right there there are all sorts of things that, that there's never been a really great time to be alive <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really great. and i think that that's important i think it's really important so um teresa of avila um one of the last mystics one of the last great mystics of uh of, of catholicism um would say to her nuns um you know because it's, it's hard to be a nun like can you imagine you're closer like you're in your it's being like stuck in your own head and she would say to her nuns listen um if you are feeling really awful and like nobody loves you and like i need you to remember that jesus christ came into the world for you lived taught you know, did miracles for you, you, Jim, a nun, <laughs> Jim, the little nun, <laughs> like, right? And died for you and did all, did all this for you and loves you more than any human being could possibly love you and loves you. So, and you remember that when you're feeling terrible. And when you're feeling like you're pretty awesome and like everything is going pretty well in the world and, every, and you know, that nothing really needs to be changed. I want you to remember that you killed Jesus Christ. So I think that it is really important when we're feeling um, like so uh, distraught that we can't really get out of bed because of especially those of us like you who work um, in the public sector and, you know, uh, with folks who are disadvantaged. It's really, really hard to keep your, your head above the water. I think that 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 kind of view, that like cosmic view is really important just to remind yourself that like there is a broader context within which all of this doesn't make sense, but at least um, it it assures us of the possibility of other ways to go or like a yeah. future or something, right? Um, but then I think it's also really important when we're all going around our lives and being like, you know what, things are getting better, things are okay, to remember like, no, actually, there are a ton of suffering people. And we have to advocate for something like really straightforward. When you ask, like, how can we bring more people into this kind of awareness of, you know, the connection of things and the sacredness of things, a universal basic income would, would really help, right? Meet people's yeah. basic needs. Mm -hmm. um, and stop obsessing over like what people are going to do with it. Are they going to use it for drugs, whatever? Like nobody uses money. Well, you just give a universal basic income, right? Put a floor on people, make the, allow people to live livable lives. Mm -hmm. And then people will get to the point where they could like, maybe have a prayer of having a yoga practice yeah. or something like that. Yeah, but like yeah, you, yeah, can't, yeah. you can't do it without a unit. So it, it, we also, I think need to remember that there is like, concrete organizing that needs to get done and there are like specific political positions that we can take in order to allow this like broader generosity to the universe to emerge because you can't ask somebody who doesn't have a place to live and sleep to be generous toward a tree you just can't yeah. do it like yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, it's yeah. not fair <laughs> it's just not that's possible. it yeah that's it and i guess like to me we had a professor guy standing on before who writes extensively about use of universal basic income mm. and i often think of it and i just think well in my head we can't reach a universal basic income unless we have a kind of pretty broad uh, universal feeling amongst the community amongst the country mm. mm -hmm. you know because as you said you're always going to go well, what are they going to do with that mm -hmm. uh, is that really worth it do they really deserve it and, right. and that's why I, I keep on coming back to going well if people could like if the average person would say well well, that person is some sort of a divine character. And they're right. just here on this world, just like me, trying to make it, you know. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what I hope, because a part of me thinks, well, you can't expect 
the politicians who are thriving under a kind of divisive atmosphere to go, okay, I'm going to do something right now that goes very contrary to what's been happening over the last 50, 60, 70 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's our mind body problem, right? Does the, there's does, mind, does the mind have to, but have to come around before you can do the thing or do you do the thing? And, 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 you know, my sense is that if we could just do the thing, our minds would come around, right? Yeah. If we could just get to, for example, the universal basic income, universal healthcare for the U S which we do not have, which is absurd. Um, no, then you know, then your your average Joe who tends to be you know racist and horrible um, would be like, oh, you know what? There's no problem anymore, <laughs> right? So yeah, you, yeah. you could do the thing that the minds would come around. Um, but mm. you're right; it's it's hard to get it's hard to get buy-in. It's hard to get bills passed. It's hard to get all sorts of things. Listen, you've been incredibly friendly with your time. Just before we go, I wanted to ask you about a recent article you yes. you wrote about the kind of billionaire obsession with Bezos and with Musk um, and with, with Mars. Yes. And I'd love for you to just give a little bit of a snippet for the listeners to how you see this kind of fitting into our collective understanding of God. Or how, okay. how yeah. Yeah. So this is what, this is part of what I was thinking about when I answered very straightforwardly that I think that the contemporary God is money. Um, okay. The um, both Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are uh, smart enough to understand that we can't go on this way forever. Like we can't live this way forever. Musk tends to tell these sort of disaster stories about like an asteroid might hit us or, you know, AI might destroy us or something like that. Like the robots are going to come and kill us. Or but like, 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 so there, there's some, some kind of end point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore he wants to get us off the planet and get us to Mars. Um, Jeff Bezos is a, is a little more, um, he's a little uh, more nuanced than this. And, and he says, you know, we're just using too much energy. We're, we're, we, we, we're, we're exploiting natural resources to such an extent that, that and, you know, and our population is growing to such an extent that it's just, just, just not sustainable, right? Um, so what's the answer? Is the answer like, okay, live more gently on the earth, use less power, um, plant a lot of trees? No, the answer is, oh, okay, we're going to set up colonies on the moon and in between the earth and the moon, and we're going to like set up these rotating spheres that are, um, because neither of them can imagine an end to capitalism. Neither of them can imagine an end to so-called growth, to profits. So they have to actually leave the earth Right, having like having reached the limits of the earth, they have to leave the earth in order to keep pursuing like the untrammeled um, exploitation of resources. We're going to mine asteroids, for example, right? Um, and and uh, and the growth of profit and the, the the you know the explosion of the human population. Um, this is a really good indication for me of the divine status of money because it is unimaginable. Right? that we might live in some other way in some, mm. in, in some way that values something other than profit. Mm. I don't know if that answers the question. No, asking. absolutely. And if I'm right in saying that, like this is almost a good example as well of the next frontier of colonialism as well, kind of us going, well, we can go into Mars. So we're going to go into Mars. Yeah, and this is this is what absolutely what drew me to the story was realizing like we're we're just going to do this again. 
like again (laughs) after all the things that we've learned about the violence of colonialism the violence of exploitation the way that we've absolutely systemically destroyed the earth and most of its peoples and most of its creatures and almost half of its sea life like we're just gonna do this somewhere else on mars or like on titan or something like that this is just absolutely unbearable to me and the answer that comes back is oh no 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 it's okay this time because there are no people there. Mm. It's okay this time. Like we're mm. allowed to, you know, pillage the universe because there are no people there. And it's at that point that I think we need to start listening to the stories of people who value beings other than people, right? Yeah. And who even value so-called lifeless rocks and who do not see resources as resources, who don't think yeah. of or as, you know, something just to be endlessly exploited for human benefit. Yeah. Um, Let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> to end on a more positive note, uh, we, can you tell us how you look after your mental health? <laughs> um, how I look at it's a great, I, I appreciate the question because I will take it as a reminder to look <laughs> after my mental health. I, uh, um, I used to have a yoga practice, and uh, at the times that I have had one, it's been, it's been, um, really beneficial. Um, and I, I need to remind myself to take the time to do that. Um, the other way that I, I try to look after my mental health uh, is um, by you know keeping as many um, relationships uh, open and going as possible. I try to really mm. maintain friendships and maintain relationships with my family. And um, But I'm an extrovert, so it's, it's helpful for me to be as, you know, as connected as possible. For folks who are more introverted, I think it's really important to take breaks from those people but particularly over the last year when we've been so uh isolated from people um it's been it's been important for me to um maintain as many connections as i can beautiful thank you we 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 never get the same answer and that's the whole point of the question oh good yeah 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 i appreciate that thank you so much for your time it's been great thank you so much it's been great talking to you jim great and hi guys Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review if you haven't already. Every review helps us climb the podcast charts so that even more of you can listen to our amazing guests. We really appreciate the support. Remember to tune in next week. But until then, keep safe and have a good one.